This is the paradox of our time. We have taller buildings, but shorter tempers, wider freeways, but narrower viewpoints. We spend more, but have less. We buy more, but enjoy it less. We have bigger houses, but smaller families, more conveniences, but less time, but less time, but less, time. less time, more channels, but nothing worth watching. We've earned more degrees, but lost our common sense. We have more knowledge, but less discernment. There are more experts, but more problems, more problems, more, problems. more health magazines, but less wellness. This is a time when we choose any religion that fits our personality. But deny the God who gave us one. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. We talk too much, love, love seldom, seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. This is the paradox of our time. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted our minds. We've split the atom, but not our prejudice. We build more computers to hold more information, to produce more copies, to pass around to more people. We have less communication. We've learned to rush, but not to wait. And under the magnificence, and under the magnificence of a starry night, we applaud the design. We applaud the design and ignore the designer. Ignore the designer. We're in the season of hurried vacations, preoccupied minds, quick trips, and fast food. We have fancier houses, but broken homes, steeper profits, and shallower relationships. Newfound riches, but lost souls. This is indeed a time when we place more value on success than on significance. This is the paradox of our time. Well, it's great to be back with you. Uh, it's been a while, uh, but as some of you know, if you've been here at Seneca for any length of time, it's, it's been almost 10 years, I think, since uh, I first started coming up here and uh, before Pastor Dave came, uh, filled the pulpit here for a little bit, and, and I don't know, for a while I became known as the uh, vacation pastor or the holiday pastor. Um, and uh, I was actually supposed to be with you last October, and um, as some of you might be aware, I had a stroke in September, um, so Pastor Dave was gracious enough to allow me to record uh, the message uh, at our campus in, in Green, New York, and then send that to you. And that, that actually became the, the seed, the plant in our, in our minds as we were talking through how to handle this um, extended Levy has. And, and to be able to say, okay, like I can't, I can't leave my ministry for three weeks in a row, but what if we did video? What if we did something and, and, and shared, you know, a couple weeks worth of video for you? So I hope you've uh, enjoyed that. I hope it's been convicting. Uh, you had an opportunity to meet Pastor Justin, who is one of our teaching. He is our primary teaching pastor. Uh, really, uh, preaching is my secondary role, uh, among other things that I do there at, at Berean. And uh, we've been going through this uh, sermon series entitled, uh, No Big Deal, Exposing Our, quote-unquote, Respectable Sins. And it's loosely based on this book by Jerry Bridges. And I would encourage you, even after today, after you know, this sermon series is over for you, uh, to grab a copy of this book. It is, uh, if, you, if you have found the videos the last two weeks convicting, uh, the book takes it up a notch. Uh, it, it really is a, a challenge. Uh, to think about these things that 
you know, we, we kind of look at them and we say, okay, that's not, that's not a major sin. Uh, that's not something that the Bible seems to like really hammer on. Um, and, and so we, be, we become kind of complacent and we say, okay, you know, it, it, that's a respectable sin. It, it's something that, you know, everybody does, so it's no big deal. Uh, but as we look at these, as, as we look at each of these, and we go through Scripture, we, we see they are a big deal. They, they really are. It's just that we've kind of uh, downplayed them in our minds. Now, you guys have seen a couple of the topics that we've covered uh, in this series of Respectable Sins. A couple of the other topics that we've covered, uh, the, actually the first week that we kicked this off, the first topic we covered was gluttony. Yeah, that was a challenging topic. And then a couple weeks ago, um, we had tackled another interesting one, gossip. Yeah. Um, so that one, uh, the way I introduced that uh, was I sang a song and actually got the audience to participate. I sang an ARIO Speedwagon song. You know which one I'm talking about? Right? I heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend. I'm not going to sing it for you this morning. but So I'll give you a hint this morning of what... what Today's respectable sin is. So, do you know what these are? I'll, I'll give you a, a better hint. Yes, right, playing cards, right? So, I mean, there's a couple different games we could play with this, right? Um, somebody suggested, you know, we could do 52 card pickup, right? Um, you know, we could do a little poker, right? You know, jacks are wild. Here we go. <laughs> Here's, here's the reason I, I show you this, is because, now, I grew up in a, a, a very conservative, fundamentalist, uh, dare I say, legalistic church. And if, if anybody were to ask you the definition of the word that we're going to talk about today, they, they would use playing cards. They would, they would talk about playing cards, and they would say that playing cards is an example of our word this, this, this morning, worldliness. In fact, it would be things like, you know, playing cards, um, oh my word, if you drank alcohol, that was, that would, I mean, you were a worldly person. Um, if you went to watch movies in the movie theater, wow, you were a worldly person. Now, let me give you an example of this from a personal perspective. So, I, um, maybe I've shared this with you in the past. Uh, my wife and kids actually came up a couple times when, when I've spoken in the past. My wife and I started dating when we were in high school. We were 16 years old. And so we've been married for many, many years. I'm not going to tell you how many. Um, it gets better every year. Uh, but, you know, over that period of time now, so we've had two wonderful daughters. Uh, they're both out of the house, thank goodness. Um, they, they have their own careers, great, great kids. Uh, we've had, I don't know, four or five houses. We've moved halfway across the country and then back again. Um, you know, five cats, I don't know, you know, just all the things that, that we've done together in life. But here's the thing. None of that might have happened. Like, it's possible that all of that uh, wouldn't have existed because of playing cards. Now, no, it's not, you know, I didn't gamble away our first home 
and, <laughs> and ruin our marriage. It's, that's not it at all. In fact, when we were 16, when we first started dating, my mother found out that my girlfriend's family played cards. And she just could not wrap her head around this. It, it was just something that was beyond her comprehension that, that this family that was an upstanding family in their church. In fact, in fact, her father was a deacon in a Baptist church. But they, but they played cards. In fact, in fact, here's the worst part is the game that they, their favorite game sounds even worse because their favorite game was called Dirty Rummy. I mean, how worldly can you get, right? That's pretty worldly, right? Now listen, this morning I do want to make sure that I'm clear that if you've made personal choices and you're, you have standards and you don't like playing cards, you don't drink, you don't go to movies, I commend you for that. I'm not mocking you for making those personal choices. But as we talk about this idea of worldliness, I want to challenge your thinking this morning that worldliness goes beyond things like playing cards, drinking alcohol, going to movies. So as we, as we dive into this, we're going to take a look at a paradox. The reason I showed that video is, is we're going to wrestle through a paradox. Perhaps you've heard this. I've heard it many times over my life. In fact, I've probably said this before, be, that, that as a Jesus follower, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And that is, that is somewhat of a paradox, because it, it, it is a challenge to understand the degree or to what level are, are we supposed to follow that. Because, you see, if we take a very extreme view of that, I mean, we might as well all be Amish, right? We, we, we all should just live off the grid and unplug and have absolutely nothing to do with the world around us, right? And then that, that would fulfill that, that we're physically in the world, but we're not of the world. But I think as we dive into this more, we'll get a better understanding of what that really means. And the passage where, where we see this this concept really fleshed out is John chapter 17. So this morning, if you would, if you join me in John chapter 17, we're going to look at a prayer of Jesus uh, that he was praying uh, really just very soon before his crucifixion. And as you turn there, I do want to have a quick disclaimer with this. If you are not a Jesus follower, if you're just checking this out this morning, if you if you're just, uh, you know, you're, you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, but you're, you're here and, and you're trying to figure it out, you're trying to learn about this, I want to make sure that you, you don't get confused this morning because this message is really geared towards people who have already made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And you could get confused by this message if you are not a Jesus follower you could get confused and think that somehow what I'm talking about this morning is you need to change your behavior and you need to do that in order to somehow make yourself presentable to God. You like earn God's favor uh, before you become a Jesus follower. And that's not the case. The, the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that he meets us where we are at. Each one of us that have made that decision, it is, it doesn't matter what we've done in the past, how sinful we've been, Jesus Christ paid for our sin. 
and he meets us where we are at, and he restores our relationship with God through his sacrifice of sin. And so this morning, if you have not made that decision, I, first of all, I want to encourage you, make that decision. Like, it's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. But, but in the meantime, I don't want you to be confused by this. As we talk about the, this idea of worldliness, the fact is you can't, you can't do anything to earn God's favor. You, you can try behavior modification, but it, that really doesn't make any difference in God's perspective. It's only through his son, Jesus Christ, all right? And so as we, as we jump into John chapter 17, if you have a red letter Bible, you'll notice that we're actually jumping in the middle of Jesus' prayer. And, and in this prayer, Jesus says this in verse 13. He says, now I am coming to you. He's, he's speaking to the Father, and he's saying, my earthly ministry is almost over with. I'm going to go uh, suffer a, a painful death on a cross, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry the burden of the sin of the world on myself, and I'm, going, I'm, I'm about ready to come back to heaven with you. Now I am coming to you. I told them, speaking to the disciples, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I've given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Now, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. He's saying to the God the Father, don't take them out, but keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do, but make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. See, Jesus is, as he's praying to God the Father, he's saying, I don't belong in this world, and neither do they. But yet, I'm going to send them out into the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. And I don't know if you, if, if you realize this, but Jesus wasn't just praying this for his disciples. Did you know that Jesus specifically prayed for you? I mean, Jesus specifically prayed for me. He prayed for us. Because look at what it says in verse 20. It says, Jesus said, I am not praying, not, I'm, I'm, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. See, Jesus prayed that you would be in the world, but not of the world. Now, here's part of the problem, the, the challenge with understanding this, is there's a couple different ways that we see this word world. Now, you know, perhaps you've heard messages before where we talk about that there's, there's Greek words, there's multiple Greek words for one English word. So for instance, love, there's, there's actually four different Greek words that help us understand what the one English word love means. But, but in this circumstance, we actually have just the opposite problem. We have one Greek word, the word cosmos, but we, we have to understand it in its context and, and to be able to understand what English word is talking about. Because some of the time when we see this word 
cosmos in the Greek, it, it, it's, it's literally talking about earth, the, the planet we live on, the third rock from the sun. But then there are other times that that word cosmos refers to people. So one of the, you know, a conundrum that we might have is, as we look at some other passages even this morning, we, we see where it tells us to, that we're not to love the world and not to love the things of the world. But yet, many of us know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, right? And so the conundrum is that word world, it, it, it's resolved by the fact that it actually has a different meaning. In, in John 3.16, it's for God so loved the people of the world, right? God so loved all of the people of the world. As we, as we wrestle with this idea of worldliness, this morning we're talking about this idea of the, system, the world system, the, the culture that surrounds us, the, the, the practices and the thinking of, of our culture. And so when we talk about worldliness, we might use this definition. It would be something like this, Jesus followers living like unbelievers. And I think, especially going back to my childhood and, and what I described to you earlier, like that would be a very acceptable definition. And I think that definition still holds truth. But this morning, I want to challenge you with a, a, a deeper and higher standard of what worldliness really is. See, here's, here's, how, here's how Jerry Bridges defined worldliness in his book. It says, being attached to, engrossed in, or preoccupied with the things of this temporal world. See, it goes beyond just our, our external behaviors and the, and the things that we avoid. It's what is our relationship? How, how, how devoted we are, how involved we are in things of this world. That is what really defines this, quote-unquote, respectable sin of worldliness. In fact, there's a verse that, that gives us this idea. In 1 John, he says this. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. It, it, it's, it's an either or. And so for everything that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they all come, they, they come not from the Father, but from the world. You see that as we wrestle with this idea of the respectable sin of worldliness, we've got to move beyond the behaviors of those things that we've labeled worldliness and, and deal with how do we think and feel and what are our motivations when it comes to things like the, the lust of the eyes, the desire of the flesh, the, the pride of life, the things that we take pride in in our accomplishments. In fact, it would, it would really it would boil down to this. See, it's externals versus internals. See, if we focus just on, on these kinds of things, we're focusing on the externals. And the problem is, like, Jesus rebuked that very strongly. The religious leaders of his day, listen, one of the things that he said to them in Matthew 23 was this. He said, you are like whitewashed tombs. You are beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead bones. 
And what he was saying to them was that you've got the externals down. You, you have a religious practice and, and you do all the right things. You, you don't act worldly. You act righteous. And so when people look at you from the outside, they say, oh, you must, you're not a worldly person. You must be a righteous person. But yet internally, they had other, they struggled. And, and they had sin that they were hiding from everyone around them. And Jesus challenged that over and over again. Jesus challenged the fact that it's not just how you behave, but it's your thinking and your motivation behind that that determines whether it is sin or not. And so as we unpack this idea of of a respectable sin of worldliness, Jerry Bridges points out three things. He gives us he gives us three areas. There's a lot of different areas that we could talk about, but he gives us three to help us focus on what does it mean to be worldly. And the first one is money. And that, you know, maybe you, maybe you hear about money a lot at church. I don't know. Uh, but here's one of the things that happens when we talk about money. One of, the, one of the great misquotes from the Bible is that money is the root of all evil. And that is not an accurate quote. The scripture actually says it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So the question is, when it comes to money, are you engrossed by? Are you preoccupied with? Are you you so involved in and distracted by money that it takes away from your relationship with God? See, if that's the case, then, then we are guilty of worldliness. We're allowing money to influence and replace or affect our relationship with God. Scripturally, you know, the principle when it comes to money is the principle of stewardship. It's the fact that everything we have is a gift from God. It's a blessing from God. It is His. We are simply stewards. We're managers and, and we take care of it for him. Right? That's a biblical perspective of money. And when we stray away from that biblical perspective and start moving towards the culture's perspective of money is when we become guilty of this respectable sin. Another one that Jerry Bridges talks about is immorality. And now, I don't know about you, but when I see that as a list of a respectable sin that causes me a little bit of a pause. Because I know from Scripture, like, the Bible talks very harshly about immorality. Like, it's a serious sin. So how does it fall in this category of, of, of a respectable sin of worldliness? Well, I, I would say that it, it's because we kind of have a secondary relationship with it. Let me explain it this way. So just like the the religious leaders of Jesus' time, we would say, we would talk about certain sins of immorality, and we would say, oh, I would never do that. But we'll read about it. We'll watch movies that depict it. You see, we have a, a secondary relationship with immorality. It kind of tickles our our interest. And so even though 
on the external, we're like the Pharisees. We, we say, oh, I, I've never committed that immoral act. Our internal, our, our thought process and our thinking is attracted to it and distracted by it. You see, that's worldliness. We're allowing the world to influence us and change our behavior in a negative way. And then the last one is, again, another one that maybe you look at that and you find that shocking. Like, we don't have idolatry when it, in America, really? Like, we don't have any golden calves or like weird images that we bow down to or anything. But when you think about that idea of idolatry, it's really, it's anything that, that has more importance to us than our relationship with God. Uh, do you have idols in your life? I, I know I struggle. Maybe sports. Maybe sports is your idol. Maybe there are, there are other things that, that are so important to you that they take so much time. You are engrossed in. You are invested in. You, you create so much energy and expend so much time and money on it that when compared to your relationship with God, you would say, yeah, like, Actions speak louder than words. I can say I'm a Jesus follower, but, but really, do I spend as much time on my relationship with God as I do on this other thing? You see, if, it, if that other thing takes more time and energy and more investment, like, let's, let's call it what it is. It, it's, it's idolatry. Now, I want to take a step back for a second and just talk about this corporately as a, as a church. Because I think that there is, there, there is a tendency among some churches and, and some believers, some Jesus followers, that they point at churches like Berean and like Seneca Community and they go, that's a worldly church. Because our methods are different. Like we, we do contemporary music, right? We, we preach in jeans. Oh my goodness. Uh, we use a, a new contemporary version of the Bible. Like, woo, wow, that church is worldly. But there's a truth here. There's a truth here. There's a principle here that I think applies not only corporately as a church, but as individuals as well. And it's this idea of, of being culturally relevant and culturally responsive without being culturally entangled. So in other words we can understand the culture and communicate in a way that the culture will understand us. We can, we can respond to the needs. Uh, we can have a compassionate response to the things that are happening around us in the world. We can do those things and yet not be entangled, not be engrossed by the culture of the world. You see, I think that really sums up what we were talking about, that we can be in the world but not of the world. We can be in the world and, and understand culture and respond to it, but not be so entangled in it that we become part of the world. Now, here's the thing. When I was talking earlier about, about an unbeliever, somebody who has not made the decision to be a Jesus follower, I said, you can't do this on your own. 
And honestly, the only reason that a believer, a Jesus follower, can do this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this of yourself. And so as we've looked through these different respectable sins, we always want to point it back to this verse. We want to always want to point it back to the fact that it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that can produce this in our lives if we are, if we are yielded to Him and allow His work in our life to change us. And so as we look at this list, we, you know, we talk about the Holy Spirit producing fruit in our lives, whether it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and, and really the antithesis of what we're talking about today, the opposite of worldliness is this idea of goodness, doing good. And I really I appreciate the worship team, that first song especially. Wow, that was spot on. Like you just that that was a great song to, to emphasize the, this fact. You see, it's the Holy Spirit work with it, working within us. Romans chapter 12 talks about the fact that it's by the renewing of our minds. Another verse that we can look at is this. It says that we are to throw off our old sinful nature and our former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. It's, it's corrupted by worldliness. But instead, let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, internals, will result in externals. Let the, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You see, I think if we take this and, and make a practical application of this, it, we, it would be very easy to just quit here and go, let the Holy Spirit work in your life and you'll not be worldly anymore, okay? And there's truth to that. But if we were to take this to a very practical, what's one step, what's one thing that I, if I allow the Holy Spirit to change my thinking, will change my, my response to this idea of worldliness. And I would say it's, it's this, that we need to have a bigger picture, longer-term perspective. Dare I, dare I say, an eternal perspective. And this verse really gives us that idea. In 1 Peter, it says this, that remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. He's talking to believers. So you must live in reverent fear of Him during your time here as temporary residents. And now that, that phrase, temporary residence, would have really resonated with the people who Peter was writing to. In fact, if you look at the first verse of that letter, Peter is writing to people that are sojourners. They're, they're people that are, as the result of the dysphoria, they, they were persecuted believers that were forced out of Jerusalem and spread throughout all of Asia Minor. You see, they were, they were foreigners. They were temporary residents in a new land. And Peter is challenging us that that is the perspective that we should have. That if we take a step back and have an eternal perspective, we would say that this world is not my home. I am a temporary resident. In fact, Scripture even tells us 
that not only do not only are we a temporary resident here, but we have a we have a position, we have a title, we have a responsibility as we're in this foreign land. The first in 2 Corinthians says this that we are Christ's ambassadors. You realize what an ambassador is, right? It's a person that goes to a foreign land to represent their home country. You see, as Jesus' followers, we are here in a foreign land to represent him from an eternal perspective. We are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. You know, God, God could, could send the message, give the message of Jesus Christ in a lot of different ways, but he has chosen to keep us here. When you, when you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you, you didn't automatically get a punch ticket and go to heaven, Right? God left you here for a purpose. You are an ambassador and you speak for Christ. When you plead with people, come back to God. You see, we are, we're temporary residents. And we are here as ambassadors. We are, we're a foreigner in a foreign land to represent Jesus Christ. You see, it really boils down to this. See, you are an ambassador, not a citizen. There's an old song that goes something like this, that this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And you see, when we become attached to the things of this world, when we start becoming like the things of this world and the system of this world and the culture of this world, we're losing our responsibility as an ambassador, as a foreigner, as, as someone who is a, a person that's just passing through. We are an ambassador, not a citizen. Now, if I can illustrate this in, in, in a way that, you know, something that, that's maybe fresh in your mind, just a, just a couple weeks ago, we wrapped up the Olympics. And, and what a great example, because as we send our Olympic athletes to the, to the Olympics, we want them to be, to be an ambassador for the United States, right? They represent our country. They have on, on their uniform USA. And I want to give you an example of a young lady who did that very well. She, she loves representing the United States as an athlete. And so I want to share with you the story of Sydney McLaughlin. See, Sydney set a world record at the Olympics in the 400-meter hurdles. In fact, the record that she broke was her record. So she, she set the world record, and then she broke her own world record to win the gold medal. And she loves representing America. But listen to this quote of what she said. She actually tweeted this after she won her gold medal. She said, I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Records come and go. World records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. You see, she wants to represent her country but she also has a perspective, an eternal perspective, realizing that more than just representing her country, she represents her Savior. 
And that, that really is that principle that I'm talking about when I say this. You're an ambassador, not a citizen. So when people look at us, what do they see? We, we can say we identify as a Jesus follower. But how do they, what's the first thing that comes to their mind as they describe us? Oh, you're a rich person? Or are you a Jesus follower that happens to have had some success? Or, let me step on some toes here. Is the first thing that people think about you is you're a Republican or a Democrat? Or do they say you're a Jesus follower who happens to have strong opinions about different politics? Right? You see, I think if we're really living out this idea of being in the world but not of the world, when people talk about us or, or maybe even talk to us, they say, you know what? That person's different. They, they almost they almost seem like a foreigner, like they don't really belong here. And you see, you could say to them, you know what? You're right. I'm not. I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm an ambassador. I'm a foreigner. And my citizenship is in heaven. And I think if we have that perspective, that overriding thought, and principle, and we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, we will overcome this respectable, quote-unquote, respectable sin of worldliness. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? This morning, if, if you have never made that decision to follow Jesus, I, I want to encourage you that all this stuff that we're talking about God does an amazing work in your heart and mind. And you don't have to meet any kind of standard of behavior or living to turn your life over to Christ. And so I would encourage you, if you've never made that decision, today is a great day to make that decision. And I would encourage you to come talk to one of us. If you don't feel comfortable in talking with me, talk to somebody that you know here. That you that would have the opportunity to be able to show you from God's Word what it means to really have a restored relationship with God. But I'm assuming that most of you here this morning have made that decision. And if you have, my, my challenge to you this morning, my encouragement to you, is to just spend some time in God's Word and allow the Holy Spirit to, to expose in your thinking as He has in mind exposing to us the, the things that we're attached to in this world, the things that we put so much importance on, and things that distract us from our relationship with God. Because any of those things make us responsible for this sin of worldliness. Our gracious God, we thank you for the truth of your word, that, that you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome these things, and that we can actually do good, we can do the right thing, the righteous thing, through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And God, help us to, to, to 
focus and to be able to uh, be able to point our our eyes, our thoughts, our investment, our time, our energy into the things of your word and, and what you have called us to do, to be a representative of you. God, may we be great ambassadors and, and represent you well and point people to Jesus Christ as we plead with them to come back to God. And we just pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.